grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome, happy Thursday, two days after Halloween. The beginning of the holiday season starts now. Well, not really, but I mean, for a lot of people it does. For me it does. I always uh, tell everybody that I decorate like Disney. So <laughs> my Halloween, you know, it took eight hours to put it up, 15 minutes to take it down with my friend, and as soon as I get everything put away, boom, we're shifting into putting lights out for Christmas so I can light up on Thanksgiving Day. So. Uh, the fun begins. But anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a, or you think you might have an issue, whether it's demonic or paranormal, you can call us. All right. It might take us a while to get to you, but we will get to you. Uh, it might take us a couple of days. In the meantime, we can have one of our mediums take to, you know, call you and uh, talk with you. And in most cases, they can settle things down. But if it is something that's demonic, uh, we always bring in clergy to help us out to take care of that because uh, that's what it takes to get rid, you know, to deal with demonics is clergy. You know, I just can't go in as a layman. Anyway, if you're watching from Facebook today, and a lot of you are, and you haven't done so already, please feel free and, and you like what you hear today because we're going to be talking about giants. If you like what you hear today, feel, please feel free to follow because I'm always looking for followers and uh, yeah. The more the merrier, and please feel free to comment and leave me, show me some love with some thumbs up and some happy faces and things like that. If you're watching from YouTube, same thing. I have over 700 videos sitting at YouTube, all varying topics, including this topic from a couple of people, and I have them all. I'm, I have them in categories. So all you have to do is, is click on it. If you like medium Nancy Matt, click on that category, and in you go. If you're into UFOs and all that, click on that category, and in you go, etc., etc., etc. Uh, so uh, head on over there, and if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. I mean, it doesn't cost anything to subscribe, and uh, it's, it's a fun station because I not only do that type of videos, I do fun stuff. Like I do I do baking things. I, I do all kinds of different things. Christmas, we're going to be building gingerbread houses together and some Lego stuff. and Yeah, so we're going to be doing different things. And I'm going to be looking at some paranormal equipment, so I'm going to be doing reviews on that. And I've been doing this, remember, guys, I've been doing this for 18 years as an investigator, so... I know a little bit about equipment, so I'm going to be doing that. Okay. Well, that being said, if you're also if you're watching from TikTok, same thing. All right. So you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. You can find us on TikTok as California Haunts. You can find us on Twitter as California Haunts. You can find us on Twitch as Cal Haunts. Facebook, you can find us at California Haunts, California Haunts Radio, and the Sacramento Sears, and that's S-E-E-R-S, -E -E as is ancient Greek Sears. All right, here we go. I love this topic, and it's, it's very controversial. The last time I had someone on talking about the Anunnaki, <laughs> I ended up with, with a strike on my account, which, which I you know, was on probation. And I was off the air to, on, on YouTube for seven days, and I ended up on probation with YouTube for 90 days. So I finally came off probation, and here we are again. And it is a controversial thing. You know, a lot of people, you know, especially different religions, don't 
think that this that that this stuff actually occurred. But I mean, there's uh, the cave, there's caves in Arizona. You know that cave in Arizona that was found, and they they went ahead found these these seven foot tall people, eight foot tall people that thought were giants. You know the bones, sent them off to the Smithsonian, and miraculously they disappeared. So I believe you know that any of this is possible. I always have an open mind, and that's one thing. As a paranormal investigator that we train for our team is that if you don't go in with an open mind to look at different subjects, you might as well not go in at all. Because, I mean, if you're going to go in with a closed mind, you know. So I'm just going to put the word out there, and I understand there's going to be people that aren't going to appreciate this show. Uh, you know, there's other shows to watch. You don't have to stay here. If you don't like the topic, go. Okay? I mean, you don't have to stay. There's thousands of YouTube. There's thousands of, of TikTok shows you can watch. So we're just going to leave it at that. You know, like I always say, my, my TikTok channel is P, PG-13, bordering on R, and that's this is an adult channel as well. So, yeah, that's how I feel about this. So anyway, without further ado, my guest is Douglas Van Dorn, and he can tell you about himself, and then we're going to be talking about giants. So here we go. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Early in the morning here <laughs> for both Early of us. Early in the morning here too. I was up real late last night and I thought, oh my God, why did I do this? <laughs> I woke up today. <laughs> so tell me about you, sir. It. Yeah, no, tell, tell me about you. I'm out in Colorado, uh, born and raised out here. Sounds like you could have a franchise with what you're doing. Take it to all 50 states. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm a pastor and an author and been pastoring a Baptist church for 22 years. And I've written about 10 books. And I guess the one that's done the best is the book on giants that I just released the 10th anniversary edition of. How did you get into looking at the giants? Whoop, wrong button. Sorry, sir. It flipped it on me. <laughs> Even <laughs> it does that. <laughs> Let's see, where is it? Come on, I know you're here. So tell me how you got into giants or, or looking into giants. Well, it was kind of accidental, I suppose. Uh, I had come across a fellow who had done coast to coast a bunch of times, a guy named Michael Heiser, uh -huh. and he's a he was a scholar um, that had done his work in Old Testament ancient Semitic languages, and he had this he had this uh, book that he was giving away for free. This was probably close to fifteen years ago now, and uh, I don't remember what brought me to it exactly, but I started reading the thing. And in it, he talked maybe maybe two or three chapters about giants and and uh, stuff about the angel of the Lord, kind of all all kinds of Old Testament stuff. Uh -huh. And I had nobody to talk to about this, and it completely blew my whole worldview. I mean, it was it was absolutely mind breaking, is what it was. So I just started writing because I didn't have anybody to talk to about it, nobody to bounce ideas off of or whatever. Uh, most mm -hmm. people don't take the view that I hold in my circles uh, with what the giants are and, and where they come from in the book of Genesis. So mm -hmm. that, that was kind of the start of it. And then as I wrote the book, uh, I thought, well, this might be able to sell a little bit. So it did. And I guess I've kind of become known a little bit for that around the podcasting universe. Now, you said yourself, I mean, this isn't everybody's cup of tea to discuss this. Why do you think that is? Uh, I suppose because it's a weird topic and most people don't want to touch weird topics. Um, people don't know their history. 
Uh, that's another uh -huh. thing. They don't know the history of the interpretation of this in the Bible. Um, it freaks people out. Uh, I think a lot of people don't believe that the supernatural is even real. So that uh -huh. that's a big thing. There, uh, there's all kinds of things. Um, people are afraid of where it might lead logically, uh -huh. I suppose. I could think of a bunch of reasons. Well, I know, like I said, the last time when I had somebody on about this, I got banned for seven days. Because, you know, people, like you say, people just don't understand that. You know, we're just trying to, you know, broaden people's minds. We're not trying to force anything down their throat or anything. But, I mean, like I, like I said, you know, the, like the, like with me, the proof was in the pudding when my, when my friend was talking about the cave in Arizona, you know, up in the Grand Canyon there. And then the, then the bones disappeared and all that. But he definitely, you know, found, there were bones definitely found up there. Um, do you think they're ever going to find true proof? I think they've found true proof. Um, it's not just the Grand Canyon. Right. Um, you know, there are there are newspaper articles that go from around, I suppose, late 1700s. And you can actually find them in local small uh, cities, especially in New England. They go way, way before that. But you have to go into the little local library to, to dig them mm -hmm. out. But, you know, from late 1700s to the early 1900s, we have thousands and thousands of of people going into these burial mounds that are littered, especially in the Ohio Valley. Um, mm -hmm. And these are not just, you know, people breaking into a mound to see what's in there. These are archaeologists. These are, these are biologists. These are medical doctors. These are people who know what skeletons look like. And they're all mm -hmm. reporting the same thing. Skeletons between eight and usually probably the high end is about 12 feet. Uh, mm -hmm. They're, they're, usually buried in some sort of ceremonial garb, like they were very important people. Um, they'll talk about the size of the heads. They'll talk about the length of the bodies. And then they just kind of mysteriously vanish. So it, it's actually become a conspiracy theory that the Smithsonian's behind a lot of it. And I think right. there probably is something to it. There might be. There just might be. You know, the other thought that came to mind while you were talking is, you know, the story of giants goes way, way, way back. I mean, we're talking Greek and Roman times, you know, even with the mythology. I mean, that they were talking about giants. And so it's not like this is just like cropped up like like, you, like in the 1700s or something. This, this goes way back in history. Yeah, it does. And biblically speaking, it goes back before the flood of Noah. Mm -hmm. So it, and it starts <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 6 with a little preface, which talks about these people called the sons of God, seeing the daughters of men are attractive. And mm -hmm. so they take them as wives and then they give birth to these being called, called Nephilim. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, the big debate in Christian circles is who are the sons of God? And mm -hmm. the tradition for 1600 years has been that they're basically believers and they're marrying non-believers. Mm -hmm. And you find that stuff later in the Bible with the Jews, but that's not what's going on here. And nobody, and I mean this quite seriously, nobody in the early church for the first three centuries and nobody among the Jews uh, for four centuries of writing that we know about. And this includes, you know, 50 different materials that we have. Zero mm -hmm. percent of them take that view. A hundred percent of them take a supernatural view that these sons of God would be, actually, they'd be the equivalent of the Anunnaki. Uh, they're mm -hmm. called watchers in some places, and uh, they're you can you can consider them fallen angels. 
And they come down on this mountain in northern Israel, which is the tallest mountain in the region called Mount Hermon. Uh-huh. And that they actually found a uh, they found a, an inscription in stone uh, back in the late 1800s that they took to the British Museum. They had to shave the thing uh, down so that it could be carried. But the uh-huh. inscription um, said something like those who take the oath uh, are cursed or something like that. And in the book of First Enoch, which was a Jewish book written probably second or third century B.C., uh, the story of this um, watcher fall or whatever you want to call it in Genesis is expanded like hugely. And they actually have a line that says almost exactly what this inscription said. So this was found at 9,000 feet on the top of Mount Hermon. And, and wow. the whole tradition is that they came down on this spot, which is a really weird place because it's on the 33rd degree latitude um, parallel. And according, I think, to the old uh, Paris Meridian, it's actually on the 33 longitude as well. Yeah. So uh, some, some really weird stuff going on there. That whole region uh, today, what the Golan Heights is what it's called. But in ancient days, it was called uh, Bashan. And Bashan means the place of the serpent. And these, these beings are often identified as serpentine looking. And so their spawn... The idea was that when they gave birth to these creatures, because the fathers were from heaven and the mothers were from earth, uh-huh. they didn't really belong anywhere. They became giants. When they died, they became the demons, or at least the demons of the New Testament, the evil spirits, the unclean spirits. So there's a lot going on. But like you said, you know, to talk about the history of it, it this, this goes all the way to pre-flood. And it's not just uh-huh. the Jews that talked about that. The Babylonians talked about it. You know, the Canaanites talked about it. And then that, that made its way over into Greece and Rome after that. Well, wait, 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 just hearing you talk about it right now and, you know, them being serpent-like. I mean, I can see where the controversy is coming from on this. Because, of course, you know, Adam and Eve and, and, and the serpent and, you know, the, and the apple and all that. And that, that might be partially where people are uncomfortable with the story. It makes more sense that way. Yeah, you know, the serpent with Adam and Eve is interesting because if he's of the same class of creature as these sons of God are, and I believe that he is, uh, Mm -hmm. then people are reading it wrong because they're reading it like there's a talking snake or something and and Eve is just, oh, just talking to a talking snake. But that's not really (laughs) the idea. The idea is that she's talking to some sort of a serpentine being, like like an angelic being that has serpentine qualities. He's Mm -hmm. deceptive. He's... He's full of witchcraft in the way that he thinks, and he might even look serpentine. So there's definitely a play on words going on, even in the Adam and Eve story. And so uh-huh. I, I get the problem with a talking snake. But if you, if you have any conception at all of other life in this universe, it's not hard to think that there's angelic creatures and that some of them are bad. And that's uh-huh. really what what's going on in the early part of Genesis. How hard was it to do the research for this? Well, it wasn't hard. It took a long time. I mean, when you know how it goes, when you're when you love something that you're doing, it's super fun. But I took deep dives. I mean, I've got this thing heavily footnoted, like it's some sort of a textbook almost. So I put the I put the footnotes at the end so that it wouldn't drive people crazy. (laughs) It reminds me, you said deep dives. That's me late at night on the internet sometimes because I'll I'll get a guest on or I'll get a topic on, and the next thing I know is five hours later because I'm just going down the rabbit hole finding stuff. 
you know, left oh, yeah, right. and there's a ton of stuff to find on this topic, <laughs> you know. Um, out of all the stories, you know, about these, these, I'm going to say alleged giants so that people don't get, 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 you know, on me, but, but what sticks out most to you? Um, in the Bible, there's a couple of them that I think people are from, at least one that people are familiar with the story of David mm -hmm. and Goliath, um, Goliath, right. it depends on the manuscript that you're reading. Uh, he varies anywhere between six foot eight and about 10, 10 feet tall. I, I grew up hearing that he was 10 feet tall. I tend to think he was probably nine feet or something like that. just based mm -hmm. on the Royal cubit in Egypt in the way, you know, just doing some textual criticism, but everybody's heard that story, but what they don't realize is that, uh, Goliath is given a genealogy. Um, we're told who, he, where he comes from and we're told where he lives. And when you start tracing that back to earlier parts of the Bible, like the book of Joshua and, um, figure out who, who his father is, then you start to see that, oh my goodness, he's, he's actually coming from this group of, of beings that, that are, um, they were kicked out of the promised land uh, by Joshua. They were, they were fought by Moses and they go all the way back to the days of Abraham. Like people, mm -hmm. people don't realize this. They're, they're reading these names in the Bible, like the Rephaim and the Anakim. And they're, they just have no idea what they are, but they're actually giant tribes. Mm -hmm. And we're told this in the book of Deuteronomy chapter two and three. And in, in chapter three, you have this guy named Og. And uh, there's all kinds of funny traditions about Og that the, the, some of the Jews have this fairy tale that he uh, he hitched a ride on Noah's Ark. He was so big that he 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 rode a unicorn and he was able to um, hang on to the Ark and Noah fed him through a hole, a hole in the Ark and stuff. But <clears throat> the uh, the text tells you that he he had a bed that was 13 feet long, seven feet wide, something like that. Um, and then Moses ends up fighting him and, and killing him. You know, when you think about this and, and, and maybe when, you know, when people think of giants again, you know, like you talk about David and Goliath, you, know, you talk about Gulliver's travels, you know, I mean, even though those were little people still, he was like a giant, this gigantic guy, but you look at like today. Okay. You know, when you think about history, people were as big or tall back then as they are now. Because people are definitely places, true, yeah, right? Yep. right. So when these when these when these nine ten foot guys things guys would show up or whatever, I mean that that was giants to them. And when you think about like currently our basketball players on the basketball teams and how big those guys are, you know, and some of our baseball players and not it, it makes sense. It makes sense back then that that that's how people would see it. Oh sure, um, and you know even our basketball players, our tallest basketball players. You know, you got, you got a tall, lanky one like Manute Bowl back in the 80s, mm -hmm. who was seven, nine or something. But he was mm -hmm. he was a little spindly twig is what he was. But you get somebody yeah. like Shaq, who's just solid, you know, he's only seven foot two. So now go another two feet higher, probably two to three feet right. higher. And that's what these that's how big these skeletons are said to be. Right, right. That's huge. So <laughs> can't yeah, even imagine huge. what that would be like. It's huge. And you got and like I said, you got a lot, a lot of things that people have to remember is, is not everybody was 5'11", five, five, you know, towards six foot back then. I mean, people were, were pushing, you know, 5'5", five, five or, you know, down, down in the floors back then. And so there's a, these people. I oh think you God. might enjoy this story. There's a story um, from an Indian woman. She's the first Indian to write a biography. Her name was Sarah Winnemucca. Mm -hmm. 
and she wrote us she wrote her biography in the late 1800s and she lived in nevada um in, in fact there's a town named after her called Winnemucca, nevada and um so she tells this story of how she was handed down this red hair for generations and it ended up in her possession so she tells the story of where it came from and she said that her people used to eat these uh, used to um fight these entities that were considered giants that would take their people especially their children and they would eat them and it got so bad that they ended up um trapping them in this cave up near Lovelock, Nevada. And then they set it on fire and these giants all, all perished. And I don't remember if she gives um, a size for them or not, but mm -hmm. she definitely talks about them as giants. So anyway, you go fast forward 40 years or something like this early. I think it's mm -hmm. in the 1920s. And there's a couple of prospectors that are around and they see this cave and they go into the cave and they see all this bat guano and it's like tens of feet thick. So they decide they're going to excavate it because it make great fertilizer for the uh, area that they were homesteading. So uh -huh. they go in there, they, they start digging down. And as far as I know, they've never heard this story that Sarah Winnemucca tells. They start finding giant bones all over the place in wow. this, in this uh, cave. And in fact, up until I think, so when I wrote my first edition of Giants in 2013, these were still they were they still had these giant bones on display in the museum in Lovelock or Winnemucca, one of the two, and you could go in there and look at them. But but since then they've been taken away and you can't go see them anymore. And this is the story the story. But we have pictures of them, and I think I I put a screenshot of them in my book, and uh, so you know like I said, there's proof. And I just think that this story is crazy because she's telling this story, uh, you know, 40 years before the cave is even found. And here they uh -huh. start finding these giant bones in the middle of it. Do you think that they're pulling, you know, like you say, this stuff's disappearing, you know, and just like what happened with that cave in Arizona. Um, do you think they're pulling it because they're afraid it's going to upset the apple cart with history too much? Or No, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the biggest that's the biggest problem you can't have you can't have a group of people that are migrating all across uh you know basically so we actually know probably where the migratory route was they seem to have come from somewhere near the caspian sea and they came down into the into the area the promised land where israel is they got kicked mm -hmm. out of there they move up into the modern day turkey they get kicked out of there because everywhere these these things go they're evil so when okay. you're reading like when you're reading in the book of the law in leviticus for example what the people of the land are doing it tells you what kind of stuff they were doing it's not it's not good stuff so everywhere they went they were they were uh kicked out because they were trying to kill the people that were there eat them whatever the case is okay. the practices were just wicked and so they they get kicked out, out of there. They move up to France and Germany, where Julius Caesar actually fights them and writes about them. They're called the Berserkers in his in his chronicles, his histories. Mm -hmm. uh, they get seem to get kicked out of there. They move up to Britain. So you can see they're moving farther and farther northwest. Well, what are you going to do right. when you get to Ireland? There's nowhere else you can go. So they seem to have crossed the ocean, and they came over to North America. They seem to settle in New England, and then as they travel 
farther west, then you're going to get small groups. Some of them are probably going to make it to the Grand Canyon. Some of them are going to get to Nevada. Uh, there's mm -hmm. there's stories of them going all the way out to Catalina Island in out in your neck of the woods. So I just I just find this so fascinating. And you know, and, and I know I've read other people's stuff where they've talked about the, about these giants. And as you got into doing this, like you say, it took you down to those one of those rabbit holes. What did you find, you know, when you're in your research that that stood out the most? Um, you know, I, I was really interested when I found out that that the belief was that these things became um, the demons. So. Right. Again, if they if they don't have a if they don't have a place like we do because they're you know their fathers from heaven their mothers are from earth they believe that when they died they became spirits that haunted the air so I mean I always wondered why why in the world would you have in the Old Testament you don't find any demonic stuff really and all of a sudden when Jesus comes along he's fighting demons everywhere he goes this is really mm -hmm. weird and especially doing it when you start looking at the geography his really the first three years of his ministry until the last few months are up in this very region where they were all said to have settled. And so here he's exercising demons and, and um, confronting them. Well, this actually plays into a storyline that goes back to the very beginning of, of the Bible in, in the Garden of Eden when, um, when Eve falls into sin and she's tempted by the serpent. God says that, that um, he makes a promise of the seed. He said, there's going to be seed wars. So your seed is going to fight the seed of the serpent, but mm -hmm. your seed is eventually going to crush the head of the serpent. So you can actually read the Old Testament as this war between these seeds. It pops up again in Genesis 6. When the Nephilim are on the earth, God destroys the earth, but he saves eight people. Um, you come to the stories of Abraham. He ends up fighting all these giant clans who end up settling in the land. And then when Moses is told to go in and conquer the land, it's filled with giants. So he has to kick them out of the land. He has to destroy them utterly. Joshua goes in, does the same thing. David goes in, does the same thing. And it's like, you, you read this. And first of all, you don't even realize that this is part of the storyline because you don't know who you're, who these characters are that are in the story. Right. But then it's like, it just ends. However, if you understand that these, when they die, they become the evil spirits. Now all of a sudden, the New Testament is actually picking up the very same war with Jesus being the ultimate seed of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent. And one of the ways that he's doing this is by casting out these evil spirits without even, you know, he doesn't have to perform any kind of lengthy exorcism like you find in Hollywood movies with the Catholic church, or whatever. he just says right. it and then they go away. So, um, you know, to me, that's absolutely fascinating. And that's kind of the way that I ended up writing the book. It helped. It's like I said, like I asked earlier, as far as doing your research, like you said, it, it took a really long time. How were you? How were you able to sort through all that? Like you said, you, you were putting notes off to the side so people weren't confused. It must have been hard to sort through like all that ton of stuff. Uh, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't easy. Um, but I I kind of have a systematic mind, and I decided to go basically from the beginning of the Bible to the end of it and try and make sense of the storyline that I was reading. And since it's mm -hmm. what I do as a pastor anyway, at least I knew the stories that I was reading, so that helped. Mm -hmm. um, I think some of the fun stuff was really getting into where they went after, you know, Joshua kicked them out of the promised land and kind of that migration that I told you about. I, I, I ended up spending hours and hours looking at that, thinking through that, you know, finding scholars that talked about the migrations and, 
And uh, it, it's just fascinating to think that they actually came all the way over to a place where we live today. And that most right. likely these are the descendants of the entities that were in the Bible. But the stories that you were able to read, like, you know, for the stuff over here, I love the one about eating the children. Um, are there any other reports of them? You know, because obviously they they were living among us at some point here, you know, in the United, you know, in this in this continent. Are there any other reports of, of negativity, or were they able to live kind of side by side with everybody? So you have to kind of get into basically what the Indian peoples, you know, the different tribes will tell you, and they all have stories of giants. Almost all these tribes have stories. You just have to you have to dig down and find people that are willing to tell you the stories. Um, you know, most of our stories, as far as the settlers go, are just finding the bones. And then you try and make sense of what in the world were these people doing? Was there a whole culture that was here? And, uh -huh. and I believe that there was a whole culture that was here that they called the Adena culture, uh, at least in the, at least in the Midwest and in the East. I don't know if they would call them the same thing over here in the Western part of the country, but, right. um, and the Indians tell the same thing. So like, uh, there's all these mounds that they would build and you can go to, I mean, people don't know this, but the North America has, has, uh, actually the, the, um, widest based pyramid in the world. It's called Cahokia and it's yeah. a, it's a mound that they built and mount it made out of dirt. And these people were called the mound builders. And so they would also build these kind of round, you know, roundish, looking hills and then they would bury their people inside of them there's all kinds of speculation why they would do that you know they're playing with the energy fields or mm -hmm. whatever the case might be but you start looking at these things and, and you find that they're everywhere i mean there was one my wife is from northern minnesota and there was one that was 15 miles from our house that we went in i found an old newspaper article about it and and um we went over there and went into the mound and found that it had been dug out twice i think in the 50s and the 30s but then i found an article that said it was dug out in the late 1800s that none of them even knew about <laughs> but yet their own you know minnesota historical society is where i found the right found the entry so uh yeah it's crazy to crazy to think about just how advanced and and widespread these people were that was my next question was um did you have you had a chance to visit in any of these locations. Yeah, that's the only one that I've, well, no, there's a second one that I went to. A lot of people might know about this serpent mound in um, Ohio. It's called the Ohio Serpent Mound. If anybody's watched the recent Graham Hancock um, series on Netflix, he goes there and they won't let him go there because he's Graham Hancock and they don't like his alternative history. So they say, mm -hmm. you're not allowed on our property. So I think they sent a, a drone footage up and they were able to get pictures of it but he wasn't able to actually go back and film there well this is most at least the at least the indians that lived around there um say that uh that it was not built by them it was built by the people that came before them and it fits with the whole mound building idea and in fact you end up finding that there's all kinds of serpent mounds that are that are around north america and that actually go all the way back to i think a root serpent mound back just at the foot of Mount Hermon in Israel. And I'm currently writing a book on that with an archaeologist friend of mine. This is all so intriguing. Were you prepared for the, I'm not going to say backlash, you know, from writing this book, but for the reaction for, 
for writing. No, I did not. Books. So when I when I first came across it, I was just like, this is really interesting. I wasn't uh-huh. I didn't have a negative reaction to it at all. I just thought, man, this actually makes so much sense of something that uh-huh. that I didn't really have an answer for. People always would ask me as a pastor, hey, what do you think about Genesis six? And I said, well, I don't really know. And I would just say, well, some people think this, some people think this. And then when I actually read what everybody believed about, it, I'm like, this this makes absolute total sense. And not only does it do that, but it starts connecting all these other dots um, mm-hmm. in storyline holes that to me, I probably didn't even realize didn't make sense. And all of a sudden you get this, it's, it's just a really neat thing. But then I find out that People like you, like you've experienced, people get mad about this kind of stuff, which I don't understand uh-huh. that reaction. Why would you get mad about it? Okay, somebody has a different opinion than you do. That's fine. I mean, I'm uh-huh. not going to make anybody believe that that the giants are real or the Genesis six is about this or, you know, you can believe what you want to believe. I can tell uh-huh. you, though, what the history of it is. And when you understand what the history of it is, at least wrestle with that, at least grapple with it, at least understand that everywhere these beings went, that's what they were called. That's what they were known as. That's what all the oral traditions say. Why are you getting so mad about this? So, yeah, it was kind of surprising. And I've had other people that have had, you know, same reactions when they when they take the view and then they start talking to other people. They're like, man, I don't understand it. They're getting so mad about this. I don't understand it. So, yeah, it's a strange thing. Yeah, well, the Bible and you know, and 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 Satan being cast out, well, Lucifer being cast out of heaven and all that. It sounds like there's similar, like parallels with with, with these giants, where at some point they they had to leave. Correct, or, or am I wrong? Well, there's parallels in in that, uh, like I said, that he, I don't believe that Satan that that particular figure himself was involved in what took place. Okay. You know, he had brothers, if you want to think of them like that. And uh-huh. they got kicked out because of what they did. So uh-huh. the yeah, the analog would be that that these creatures, their their spawn, their offspring, uh, uh-huh. became just as evil as them. And so, you know, they're they're embodied creatures. The giants are physically embodied and they're here on the earth. It's not like they can disappear like at least like angels are said to do and go up to heavenly right. realms or however that works. I have no idea how that works, but uh-huh. angels are kind of like they're here and then they're not here, but these giants are here all the time. And so of course they move into a land and, and um, it's not just Israel again, go back to that Deuteronomy chapter two passage. And you find that all the nations that are around Israel are said uh-huh. to have, have exterminated them too, because of how wicked they were. So uh-huh. um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> pretty wild stuff. That is wild. You know, and, and to think like like you say, it goes all the way back in the history. You know, not only not only biblical history, but even even for you know, maybe further back than that for as far as we know. Um what do you say to people? What what is your message to people about this? I mean, like you just said, people get upset over this, you know, it's controversial for people, but do you think people should have more of an open mind or or, or what? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I wish that they would. Um, mm-hmm. Here's kind of a, a take that will, in a roundabout way, answer that question. Think about something like Greek mythology, and I was reminded of it because you just brought up again that you know this is this is found in other cultures as well. So, in Greek mythology, which a lot of us had to take in school, you know, you hear these stories of Zeus and then of his children like Hercules or Perseus right. or whatever. And you just have it in your mind that this is all just a bunch of bunk. It's just like these stories that they made up for no reason. 
Well, what happens if actually those stories are rooted in some sort of historical truth? Because the fact of the matter is that the whole Zeus Olympian thing is exactly parallel to what you right. find in the biblical text with the watchers. And um, then you find that, that, you know, Zeus has these children that become these heroes. They're super strong. They're not necessarily tall, but everything else about it is the same thing as uh -huh. what you find with the Nephilim and these giants. Uh -huh. So it's right. like, and they're not the only ones. I mean, the Romans told the same story. Again, the Babylonians told it, the Assyrians told it, the Egyptians told it. You find the stories in the, with the Indians over here. You find it in uh -huh. South America. You find it in China. Like why, how, first of all, how in the world could they all make up the same story uh -huh. when they're not even connected to each other culturally in uh -huh. some cases? How, how is that even possible? Why wouldn't they come up with completely different crazy stories you know uh -huh, uh -huh. if there's got to be some sort of kernel of truth in them so you know, it's actually changed the way that i think of the word myth um i don't i used probably used to think of it as just fiction or just uh -huh. storytelling but i don't think of it that anywhere anymore i think of it really myth mythology is a way of telling an origin story in a in a way in a, giving it a vehicle that can travel through time that becomes timeless that won't disintegrate um, so that people can actually hear the origin story thousands and thousands of years later. And I think that those origin stories, yeah, there, there's embellishments and all those kinds of things, but they're rooted in historical uh, truth. Uh -huh. And, you know, as a, as a Christian who takes the Bible seriously, that's, that's how I can justify that. But, you know, there's other ways of kind of getting at it as well. Like I said, if everybody has the same stories. You really have to grapple with that. How can that possibly be the case if it's all just lies and they're all just making it by themselves? Doesn't To me, that doesn't make sense. Well, also, you know, people are more than willing to believe that the, the birth of Jesus, for instance, the Native Americans knew about it. And people are more <laughs> right. embracing of that than they are looking at this. That's a great example. I've heard that. I've heard at least one story like that, you know, which is really a wild story. But, uh -huh. you know, they, they didn't have any contact with people in the Middle East. So how could that even be possible? But yeah, like right. you said, you're willing to believe that, but you're not willing to believe the, the exact same thing with just different different people involved. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So as these giants lived among, uh, amongst the people, you know, back, let's go back to biblical days or, or beyond, you know, once they left and they were living amongst the people. Were there sacrifices being done to appease them or, or were they just trying to, live, you know, do their own thing and live in these caves, and these, these, these outlying areas away from the people? That's a great question. Um, so if you look at some of the root meanings of, of the names of, of especially the tribes in the Old Testament. So, for example, mm -hmm. there's a group called the Horites. And the Horites are found in several chapters. And you look at what that word means, and it essentially means they're cave dwellers. So those seem to be creatures that are like, we're, we're going to hide out here. You know, maybe they don't want as much interaction as some of these other ones. There's other, another group called the Zamzumim, which basically means the buzzing ones. And so, you know, these are, these are probably much more violent um, tribes that <laughs> you know who knows what all they did i think that the sacrificing was going on in several ways i think that the people might have been sacrificing to them you know because it's natural for people to see a, a an entity that's so tall and and so mm -hmm. powerful whatever you can sacrifice to them but i think that the sacrifice goes beyond that 
to uh, to the gods themselves, to the to the angelic fallen angels that I think most likely, in fact, not most likely, I, I really very strongly believe that the giants themselves were offering sacrifices to their fathers. Mm-hmm. And that that practice was probably emulated by the, you know, the smaller people that were around. And I don't think this was confined to Israel. I think you find it around the world as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, another question I had too is, do you think that, that, that they have all died off? I mean, they're not around anymore at all. Because to me, if they spread out as far as they did, there's still got to be some semblance of, of them somewhere. Yeah. So this kind of gets to the cave thing a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You can you can go pretty you can go pretty deep in into trying to answer <laughs> this question too. Uh, you can tell I you can tell I love to like go <laughs> off the deep end on these things. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think the best the best reports that I've heard are that um, I'm trying to remember the name of the islands, um, the Solomon Islands. So there's all kinds of strange strange stories that persist to this very day about giants that are living on the Solomon Islands out in the Pacific Ocean that the people stay as far away from as they can. Now, these islands or these 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 particular giants are living in caves. And so they're not coming out, you know, they're not living just out in the open. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's probably a lot less of them. There's obviously a lot less of them than there used to right. be, unless they're right. all living in some sort of massive cave systems under the earth that we don't know about, which you hear stories about that. Right, right, right. Um, I can't confirm any of them, but and I've heard stories that they're under Mount Hermon. I've heard stories that they're under us right now. I mean, how how seriously can you take any of them? I don't know. Sometimes you hear the same story being told by supposed eyewitnesses over and over and over again. So mm-hmm. to me, there's some credibility to it. So when people ask me if I think they're still here today, I think my answer is, yeah, I think they probably are, but they're just not, it's just not out as out in the open as it clearly once was. And then, you know, when you think about that too, where there's so many areas where they can hide. I mean, like even in oh, Northern yeah. California, Oregon, you know, in Washington with, with, all, with, with all the woods and everything. I mean, there's just so many opportunities to go into hiding. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a big question about Bigfoot. Um, you know, I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want to bring it up, but I was going to. It's a big guy. <laughs> is, <laughs> okay. is he actually related to these creatures or is he not? And, you know, there's a big debate in that community of whether he is. I haven't made up my mind because Bigfoot stories are, <laughs> there's some weird stories. I mean, they have like very natural things to them. You know, he walks around, right. he, they find poop or whatever. Uh, <laughs> he seems to be physical. I mean, he's moving right. bushes and stuff. But then you find stories where he just disappears right in front of people. Right. So you don't get any hint that the giants, when at least when they were embodied before mm-hmm. they died, ever disappeared um, like that in really in any of the stories. Right. So Bigfoot's a he's a weird character, but I, I think it's possible that he could be related to them. I don't know. But like mm-hmm. I bring that up just because, you know, you guys have the woods. We have our woods. There was a recent Bigfoot sighting in southwest Colorado. Big bunch of. Yeah. Bunch of to do about that over at the narrow gauge railroad. And right. I don't know if you saw the footage of that or not. Yeah. On the train. Yeah. 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 <laughs> See, that's why I was trying to dance around the whole big thing. <laughs> I ah, know you know, no need to dance around him. <laughs> um, you know, with these, you know, do you think event that, that there may be a chance later on that, you know, as, as we mature as a society that maybe they, you know, somebody's bound to run into one of these things at, at some point. 
uh, Bigfoot or the Giants? The Giants. Yeah, I mean, it depends on who you mean by someone. I think plenty of someones have already done that. It's just mm -hmm. that nobody takes them seriously because they're, you know, some village girl living in the Solomon Islands and or some little family that's obscure that nobody mm -hmm. cares about because they live in a little tiny hut made of reeds or something like that. Um, you know, anybody famous over here, if they're, it's not going to happen out in the open, I promise you that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, maybe they're, maybe they're interacting with them under the earth. I don't know. <laughs> well, like you say, there's so many stories of beings being under the earth. I mean, you know, that, that drags into, into another rabbit hole with, with the reptilians and her mouth Shasta and you've got sure, all sure. this going on. Yep. Could, you know, Maybe it's maybe it's not what people think it is. Maybe it is these giants. Maybe it's not the reptilians. Maybe they can change shape and form. Because I mean, the reptilians, of course, are reptilians. Snakes are rep are reptiles. So maybe there's a kind of link to this. Yeah, I mean, again, there's debate in my at least my community over the reptilians. I tend to think that it's it's at least very plausible that the reptilians are the same species that we find in the Old Testament with. Um, these serpentine um, watchers, these Anunnaki, these sons of God. I don't have a problem um, logically. I don't have a problem theologically with that. So if they are, then that makes the things at Mount Shasta and whatever else really quite interesting to me on that kind of a level, which is why I entertain the thoughts, even though I'm a supposedly a, you know, just a straight laced pastor. So. Well, that, you know, that brings to reason, too, because, you know, the reports on the reptilians is that they are more, I don't want to use the word violent, but they're they're more pushy, angry, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So if, if there is a relation there, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What do you say to people that don't want to listen to this this topic? I mean, like you said at the very beginning, it's not for everybody. People don't have to mm -hmm. listen to it. So I don't care. I mean, you can you can pay attention to it or not. To me, it's relevant on a spiritual level and a supernatural level uh, of evil. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you think you opened up your show talking about exorcisms in houses and how you guys go about taking care of that. Well, you know, we live in a culture, at least the younger generation, that is much more open to this than I think some of the older generations, the Gen Xers and the, you know, the baby boomers or whatever. They're, we're not as open to it as the younger kids. And I just uh -huh. think that there's a, there's a real evil that's around our culture that people know and they feel it and they sense it. And a lot of people don't have a place to be able to talk about it. And so uh -huh. they just bottle it up. They keep it to themselves. You know, their house might have something going on it and they're not made to tell and they're not going to tell anybody. And this happens all the time. I'm sure you know that. Uh -huh. So, I mean, people can close their eyes to that. There's not much you can do about that. I wish that they wouldn't. I wish that they would. I wish that they would take real evil seriously. Um, uh -huh. But all you can do is talk about it and let people know that, you know, from my perspective, I, I try and bring the, to this a sanity, just a textual, um, mm -hmm. biblical, hopefully scholarship to what people have believed, what the text actually says, and okay. then move out to other other places that are telling similar stories and say, look, this isn't this isn't just magic and make believe and just people creating crazy stories just because they want to mm -hmm. scare somebody or something. This is actually what people believe. Yeah. And everybody okay. seems to have believed it. So. I would just hope that a little bit of persuasion and getting people to 
think a little bit more openly. You know, if somebody's made it this far into the program, then they're, they're probably a little bit more interested than somebody <laughs> that just shut it off right at the beginning. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But what, you know, what, I'm not one of these people that, that believes everything. It's, it's just not my, you know, as a journalist, I have to stay, you know, on that center line. But if, if it's written in, in the Bible, if it's written in, like you say, back in the Greek text, and all this is going on, there has to be something to it. And I don't get why people will close their minds to it. Yeah, maybe it's just fear. Maybe it's just they, you know, they haven't had it in their own experience, so it can't possibly be real. Why can't somebody mm -hmm. else experience it and it be real? Why do you have to experience everything? I, I don't know why people, you know, there's all kinds of different reasons for it, but. Like I said, we can we can just talk about it openly and let people know mm -hmm. that there's a storyline. And I do it as a pastor and as a Christian to let people know that there's hope mm -hmm. beyond mm -hmm. the evil. You know, I believe Christ, I believe the main storyline of the Bible is that Christ defeated these guys and that he shows right. himself to be king of kings and lord of lords. And that anybody who trusts in him, they're not going to have to, they're not going to have to fear uh, this kind of evil. I mean, mm -hmm. and a lot of people you know, a lot of people are fearing this stuff and they don't need to, if they turn to him, I mean, that's the uh -huh. whole point of, of what the gospel is. So that's why I uh -huh. ultimately, why I like this topic so much. Now, my other question is since you've written this, this book, have you had confrontations with people that maybe you met on the street or, you know, they know who you are and, and had those types of you know, confrontations and conversations with them, you know, where they come at you negatively? Um, no, it's more from people that I know that are in my own circles. <laughs> so not really strangers, but yeah, people uh -huh. that just, they have a tradition of what this, this text has always meant. And uh -huh. so it, it can't possibly be wrong. It, it can't be questioned. And so, you know, I just try to just walk on and say, have a nice day when it comes to that. So. Well, that's what I mean. Like you say, they have their interpretation of the text yet, yet it's right there in front of them. You know, in some of those passages that they actually talk about these giants, and that's what I don't get. It's just like people will read and tune it out. My mother was like that. My mother, you know, when when I realized there was stuff going on here at the house growing up, my mother would say, "Oh no, your imagination." Yeah, she would just tune it out, and maybe that's what the whole issue is: is that when people, when somebody's reading along and they hit something that that doesn't jive with their beliefs, right away there's a switch that goes off. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I think two different things at that. I think that's certainly one reaction um, it couldn't mm -hmm. possibly be that way i have my own way of thinking about the world and mm -hmm. this does not fit that and so i'm just not even going to entertain it because why should i but i wonder like if you if you're in a house for example where this kind of stuff is going on and and somebody brings up the topic and and what if that person has seen it and they're so terrified by it that they're just mm -hmm. paralyzed they can't they don't they can't bring themselves to to deal with it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's probably a real possibility too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know you're a pastor, but uh, usually well, we'll get to that. I got one more question anyway, before <laughs> we get to that. <laughs> um, what do you, you know, what is your message? Like for people that, that might, might come across your book or might kind of, start to do the 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 dive in, into looking into this what's the way that, that they can start looking into this to do the research is there an easy way or is it just it is all just one big rabbit hole uh 
Well, I mean, I, I wrote mine as kind of a gateway to people that are Christians and people want to take the Bible seriously. There's other people uh -huh. that are dealing dealing with the topic, too. I would just say, you know, try and find a source that is um, trying to deal with the, su the subject in a serious manner and not in a sensational manner. There's uh -huh. Christians that are dealing with it sensationally, and I try and stay away from those guys, too. In fact, I start off the book that way, basically saying there's there's some books that are already written on this, but I want to take this more seriously than what they do. Uh, because it's a serious subject, it, diver it deserves um, real thought. It deserves real digging into. It deserves real answers. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That's what I uh -huh. think. Now for the last question for you. <laughs> You're a pastor, so <laughs> this is up to totally up to you if you go here. You're on the Las Vegas Strip, and you have a little bookshop, and there's other people that are, have other bookshops next to you that have similar books. How do you get people to read yours? On <laughs> the Las Vegas Strip. That's why I was laughing about it, because you're a pastor. And that's that's <laughs> an interesting question. Um, boy, I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, I'm curious as to what makes you ask a question like that. I always ask that because it's, it's, it's just something that, that, you know, if, if you want to, it's, it's kind of like, because, you know, they're, they're always bar, 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 barkering things on the strip. Yeah. You know, it's always uh -huh. this show, that show, this product, this, that product. That's why, the, that's why I ask it to see, you know, how you as, as the writer of this book would, would sell the book to, or try to, try to get somebody to buy the book. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. Um, it Because what I just said a minute ago is that it's not really sensational. It doesn't really right. lend itself to me trying to be sensational on the strip and have some sort of sure. a van with, the, you know, the book cover or whatever <laughs> on it. I mean, I could. I think the book cover is kind of cool, but. <laughs> um, some gal dressed up with one of those heads on that to go about eight, eight feet above her head, right? You know? <laughs> right. I mean, I don't want to. One thing I, I do not like is bait and switch sort of stuff. So I would never want anybody sure. to think that this is some sort of a tillation book that, oh, it's just going to be one thing. And then it turns out to be, you know, something completely different. My book is right. what it is. And right. um, so hopefully just word of mouth on the on the strip and, and getting people to say, hey, man, you should really go into that bookstore and check out that book. <laughs> there you go. What's next for you, sir? Now, like I said, I'm writing a book on this serpent mound, which is it's kind of my my um, my prelude book to the giants because it's really dealing with the the fathers, the watchers, the the Anunnaki, the sons of God, uh -huh. in a strange way in, through archaeology through this through this mound that I basically discovered um, over by what's called the Gilgal Rephaim. This is a a stone ancient megalith stone circle that's uh, right up by the Sea of Galilee, and this thing is only a tenth of a mile away from it. You could, you could, you could hit a golf ball from one place to the other. Uh, so I'm, I'm writing that and and enjoying that, and then I just, I continue to be a pastor at a local church and and to do the work that I think God's called me to do. So that's what I'm up to. I'm busy all the time doing podcasts, and so it's fun to be on a on a show like this. Very different kind of show than I usually get to do. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, how, how can people find you? Um, my website is douglasvandorn.com. Uh -huh. And uh, I've recently re remade it. So I, I ended up actually losing the whole website. It was taken down, not for anything, any bad reason, but it, it just right. was a series of series of things that forced me to remake it. Remake it. 
and then all my books are linked on there you can go there but they're also on amazon people can find this book on amazon there's a couple other books that i think that your uh, audiences might enjoy i have one on conspiracy theories and and uh so yeah that's where that's where my stuff's at fantastic i'll have to get you back on this was fun yeah absolutely fun to I'll be have on to get you back on maybe to talk about the conspiracies or when the next book comes out or, or whatever just to get together and chat again that's pretty cool. absolutely thank you very thanks much. for having me on i appreciate it all right well, you have a great rest of your day sir hey you too <laughs> all right yeah like i said it's going to be a controversial show but learn so much learn so much tomorrow night we're shifting gears again uh nancy bass is out ill this week so me and karen clark is going to be with us tomorrow night and she's going to be talking about dream interpretation so it should be a pretty pretty good show 6 30 p.m pacific we'll be here and uh hopefully you guys like that show i want to thank uh Douglas, again, for coming on. I really, really appreciate that. And uh, I was excited to have him on to talk about this stuff. So anyway, I'm going to let you guys go. I will give you his contact information again and where you can get the book. And we're going to call it a night. And I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. So here we go. That website is douglasvandornolline.com. They're all lowercase. And the book is Giants. And as he said, you can get that at his website or Amazon. See, I'm ahead of myself. <laughs> but yeah, at his website or Amazon. All righty then. Again, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Hunts Radio. Just trying to get the word out of our little old show. All right, guys, I'll see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening. <laughs>